0: This CosmicReality.com presentation is sponsored by MysticalWares.com. Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world, with Ani Alvedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's... Pfizer admitted the Francine was not tested for efficacy against transmission, will lamestream media be able to bury that bombshell admission? Blue run cities seem to be openly encouraging violence and brutality. The establishment is pushing to legalize pedophilia. If you agree with that, you have lost all rationality. Police forces all across the globe are deciding whether to serve the people or bend the knee and become establishment sheeple, lost in space, way off base, lacking in grace, crazy little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. Sometimes we are successful, Sometimes not so much, but we are on a bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the metaphysical martini show. We do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. In fact, why don't I take a sip of my little drinky poo just to get the show going? You know what I mean? To get things rolling along. Hang on there. Mm. Mm. Ooh, Bubbly sassy but sophisticated just like me darlings yes folks welcome to metaphysical martini where the holy spirit meets top shelf distilled spirits if you're joining us for the first time i extend a very warm welcome to you be advised however this show is not politically correct so as not to erode the intellect we are not woke God forbid. We know the true agenda behind the CDC poke. And indeed, we know the true agenda behind all establishment shenanigans. This show is for people who know how the world works, who runs it, how they run it and why. So, darlings, if you believe your government works for the betterment of the average citizen, this show is not for you. So do yourselves a favor and move along. We martini heads, we're many things, (laughs) but naive is not one of them. We are proactive citizens. We demand a government that is responsive to the needs of the people. One that supports mankind's advancement into a new golden age. This current administration is composed of deep state minions far more concerned with lining their greedy grubby little pockets. They have no concern for mankind's evolution. All they see is short-term gain. They are parasites feeding off the fruits of our labor and it is way past time we arrested them, locked them up, took them to trial and dealt with them as is appropriate. And what is appropriate do you think? I think appropriate would be anything from long term community service to prison terms and in some cases, quite a few cases actually, execution for outright crimes against humanity. And given the atrocious state of affairs we find ourselves in, literally light versus dark, a war for the future of humans on Earth, those executions, I believe, should be broadcast to the public. At times like these, evil just can't be dead enough. Also, we're surrounded still by people who have no idea what is really going on. People who have bought the official narrative hook, line and sinker. We really are living in two worlds. But a third is emerging, just to complicate matters. The ones who are in the awakening process. Negotiating that exciting but oftentimes dangerous space we call no man's land. And to those folks, I say, <clears throat> Fear not, my brothers and sisters. We salute you for reclaiming your minds from the clever, relentless campaign to engineer your perception from divine and magic to mortal and tragic. I assure you there is great love for you here. We have waited so very long to see you here and you are assured a warm welcome. Together, we will expose the giant pustule of corruption and deception. We will illuminate the playing field with our desire to build a spirit centered realm. And in that illumination, the shit that has floated to the top and dared to call itself our ruler will be scooped up and flushed into a place of creator's choosing where it will no doubt be sanitized and recycled. And to that I say, huzzah, and thanks to the one source, most holy, holy of holies, source creator I am, you are too great to hold one form, we are your many and myriad forms. Each day we remind ourselves of our origin. That's what we should do, our true nature, our cosmic, eternal, unlimited nature. Now, knowing that that's what we are, source creator I am, with that in mind let's take a look at the world around us the one we have co-created is it a worthy manifestation of our divine potential <sighs> i think the jury's out on that one before we go on please allow me to take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible mystical wares in mount vernon Washington dedicated to exploring both the known and the unknown, then helping you provide the products and tools to expand your reach. Mystical Wares has a large and varied inventory and is the perfect spot for people who value illumination over indoctrination and for people who know the difference between propaganda and ashwagandha. If you are experiencing spiritual stasis, head to Mystical Ware's, Mount Vernon's metaphysical oasis. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. And jolly nice people they are, too. Very pleasant to deal with. All right, my darlings, let's get on with the show. And let's start, as we almost always do, with quack. Questions, answers, and comments. If you would like to discuss the workings of the inner corridors of your mind with martini heads worldwide, send your emails to Ani at com, or snail mail to Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon 97070, USA. And please, please let us know if and how you wish to be identified, or we shall refer to you as Omit. Personal details. Okay, let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. Shakey, shaky, mixy, mixy. All right, our first missive is from PIN, P I N, and I think that might be Vietnamese. Um, anyway, PIN says Dear Miss Ani, why do people suffer so much? why do they insist on complaining and moaning instead of taking steps to alleviate their suffering? My family is a typical example of this state of mind. My grandparents complain endlessly about their aches and pains, but they don't want to make a fuss and bother the doctor. No, they just want to make a, make a fuss at home and make the family's life miserable my parents are no better my mother has a bad tooth a trip to the dentist is the obvious solution but no she chooses to play the martyr to her pain complaining at every meal because she cannot chew her noodles properly my father has headaches every day i told him to have his eyesight checked but somehow even though there are 24 hours in each day and he only works four days a week, he can't find the time to make an appointment. Why do people prefer to suffer when the solution is simple? What advantages are associated with suffering? What does it give you? What benefit is there in it? Am I missing something, Annie, Or is my family just as dysfunctional as everyone else's family? Mmm, that deserves a little sip of my drinky-poo. Hold on. Mmm. Okay. Pin. Pin. Let's take a look at suffering. So, what is the traditional dictionary definition of suffering? Um, it would be something along the lines of uh, the condition of one who suffers, the bearing of pain and distress... Um, Something along those lines. And a very popular New Age saying, which is actually a very old age saying, is uh, pain is is inevitable, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, that last statement. This is a physical realm. Our bodies will experience pain. Our minds will experience pain but is suffering necessary? I think not. I think it crystallizes the pain and gives the pain power over the human. Humans, we're supposed to be masters of this realm. And how can we be masters of the realm if we don't have mastery over our emotions? So let's explore this a little bit. Say you break a leg it is painful. I have broken bones. It is painful. There will be an initial period of wailing in agony when that bone snaps. What is the best course of action to take should that happen to you? Get help. Get to a place where the bones can be reset and the leg placed in a cast. Then get a script for painkillers and follow the orthopedist's instructions for rehabilitation. I think we would agree that is the proper course of action. Once all is stable, we manage our condition in a functional way, focusing on our recovery while getting on with life. Say, for example, we have the injury at a time in our lives when we are unhappy for whatever reason. Perhaps we feel underappreciated. Perhaps we feel we are not heard. Perhaps we're at a point in life when we need to make significant changes but lack the courage to do so. Perhaps we're just in a rut. Um, The possibilities for dysfunction on this realm are endless. So the injury could serve our ego in so many ways. Appreciate me now, now that I can't walk, now I can't do things for you. Hear me now hears my voice as I wail in pain and cry out for my pain pills. Oh, well, you can't expect me to make those significant life changes now, do you, while I have this life-threatening and extremely painful injury that keeps me immobilised 24-7. I think you get the picture. Our egos will use every trick in the book to keep us wallowing in a cesspool of mediocrity. It will jump through hoops to keep us focused on the physical and distracted from the spirit self. If people choose to suffer continually, it must give them something, don't you think? A reward? A treat? A treat with which to feed the ego. Now, I'm not being flippant here. I understand the power of pain. And after all, I have spent my entire life helping people through their pain. But I also understand that the body is a learning tool for the mind and that the divinely aligned mind conquers all. And fear is the number one killer of the mind on our realm. I think it was Michel de Montaigne who said, he who fears he shall suffer already suffers what he fears. We're sort of predisposed to expecting the worst, aren't we? Of course, that's programming. That's not spirit inspiration. Joyce Meyer. Um, I think she once said something along the lines of our past may explain why we are suffering, but we must not use it as an excuse to stay in bondage. Well, I'm sure a lot of people have said something along those lines. So. With that, we can all agree there is no such thing as the perfect family. We carry ancestral trauma with us. Those with a grounding in metaphysical principles know the purpose of an incarnation is to identify and then heal that trauma. But we are not good at explaining these basic spiritual tenets to our progeny, are we? let alone become shining examples of them. If our parents made a big deal of suffering, and I should know, my family's Armenian, very dramatic people. If our parents make a big deal of suffering, it is more than likely the offspring will do the same. Tiknat Han. He said, people have a hard time letting go of their suffering. Out of a fear of the unknown, they prefer suffering that is familiar. So what does that tell us about the state of programming on today's human race? I think it tells us there's a lack of backbone. There's no courage, no stomach for the adventure ahead. And that's sad because no motivation means no growth and stagnation draws only the dark and the murky to it. When we experience mental or physical pain, we have a choice with regard to how we deal with it. And the Bible, for the most part, talks a load of codswallop about it, telling us that God cursed us because a piece of fruit eaten in a garden so pissed off the divine that mankind was doomed to suffer, suffer, suffer through pain, that we somehow flawed the intended nature of creation and suffering was the inevitable consequence, so suck it up, humans, and deal with it. What a load of rubbish. If suffering is to serve any purpose at all, it is to realize we are out of alignment. That should grab our attention and let us know we are off spiritual center and heading into the realms of the dysfunctional ego self. The basement of doom, where fear keeps all its bogeymen in wait, waiting for a vulnerable moment, a wavering weak spot in our alignment where it can jump in and play havoc with our baser emotions. Suffering is not in itself virtuous, nor is it a sign of holiness. It is also not a means of gaining points with the divine or subduing the flesh with strict denial. Um, You know, when possible, my advice is that suffering is to be avoided. It feeds the ego. Suffering, the notion of sacrifice, these things feed the ego. When we find ourselves suffering, we should ask ourselves, Why am I responding to the situation in this way? Is there a better way to respond to it? What am I learning from this suffering? What is it giving me? And that last one, what is it giving me? Right there holds the clues to the areas in our lives. We need to review and make correction as needed everything is ego versus spirit. How functional our lives are depends very much on where we put our attention. If spirit self is the primary stabilized vibration in our being, suffering is short-lived and eventually overcome. If ego self is the primary stabilized vibration in our being, suffering will become our very unhealthy companion for life. What a waste. Let's use suffering to refine our personalities. While we're at it, let's redefine what suffering means to us. We're told silly things such as, Well, kid, welcome to the world. We suffer through life, pay taxes, and then we die. As silly and as ignorant as that message is, It sticks with us. Our parents suffer all day at work to put bread on the table, and suddenly suffering is elevated to a noble status. What a wonderful thing for children to look forward to. Oh, I'll grow up, I'll fall in love, I'll get married, I'll have children, but then I'm going to have to suffer every day through a job I don't care about to put bread on the table. But it is my duty and I must do whatever it takes to feed my family and suffering is noble. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. We will all face trials and tribulations during our lifetimes. Do we face them as spiritual beings with mastery over our minds and our realm? Or do we cower, whimper, and hide in a corner, licking our wounds? We don't have to suffer through our misfortunes. We can choose to process them in a functional manner. We could develop a capacity for objectivity, and if we do so, we can step outside of the situation, so to speak, and seek solutions. That's processing done right. The alternative? Well, that's to stay inside the pain and get lost in it and wallow in it and feed the ego. Nom, 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 nom. And I see absolutely no value in that. The ego will tell us that suffering is something we deserve because we are flawed in some way. If we don't address this fake news from the ego, we can find ourselves addicted to suffering. And I assure you that is a highway to living hell. Because the part of us that believes it is flawed and unworthy will attract many ways with which to hate trash the body and the mind. And somehow, as crazy as this sounds to someone in their right mind, the ego convinces you that that is a comfortable space to live in. While the rational mind wants to work on improving every aspect of life, the ego tells us it's okay not to have the courage to go out and make improvements. It overrides, overwrites even the voice in our head that tells us to go forth and expand consciousness. And it does this by filling our heads with corrupt programs, keeping us busy with complaining, no pain, no gain, keeping us distracted from alignment because it knows that addiction, all addiction, is rooted in lack of self-worth. And that as such, because we are unworthy, we do not deserve a life devoid of suffering. This, of course, is the opposite of what is true. And now within us, we have a battle of wits between the spirit self and the ego self, And that leads to a common condition we refer to as self-sabotage, which leads to an even more dangerous condition known as the victim mentality. To overcome this ridiculous state of affairs, we must find the courage to engage in honest self-evaluation and we must learn to do so from a higher perspective, to be gentle with ourselves. And instead of criticizing ourselves, Can we not take an objective stance and evaluate our performance as a human personality? Just step outside of ourselves and go, why did I do that? And then follow that conversation, follow that inner dialogue. We have to realize it is we, us, ourselves, we are the ones who knock ourselves down. We must acknowledge how we have become lazy and comfortable, sitting there dreaming about a better life, but not having the courage to pursue one. We sabotage our own happiness and all the good things that are presented to us. We keep ourselves down by making poor choices when it comes to food, lifestyle, relationships, activities. And yes, we acknowledge the satisfaction we secretly get When as a consequence of those poor choices, our belief system is reconfirmed. Something along the lines of, you see friends, I told you so. I can never get a break in life. Life is against me. And so the cycle of dysfunction continues until it is broken. And how do we break it? Okay, one more time. Everything is spirit self versus ego self. We break it by accepting that we are worthy because we are created by source and given the freedom to boldly go where no one has gone before, to create worlds, to explore worlds, to inhabit our creations, to build mighty civilizations upon them. We can break it by shifting our perception from, oh, my God, life sucks to, hey, man, life is an adventure. Here's an idea. Let's redefine what happiness actually means. Now, there's a point to ponder. We can look upon seemingly negative, unpleasant, challenging events as projects for growth. How's that? You see, the ups and downs of life are inevitable. So why not learn to catch the waves on our spiritual surfboards? Learn to look through the illusion of fear. Why turn our minds into a prison? Instead, open the mind and we have an open door from which to exit our self-made prisons. Unless we make the conscious choice to drop our addiction to suffering, nobody will be able to help us heal. Not even JC can come back down and go, you are healed, because we would just look at JC and go, no, I love my addiction. I love suffering. You know, if we don't make that conscious choice, we will stay caught in an endless loop of making half-hearted efforts and sabotaging all over again. Do we really want that? I mean, do we? Is there nothing better we can come up with? What does it serve? It serves the contraction of consciousness. Is that what we want to discuss with our elders during our life review on the other side after we've had our mortal death? Our contribution to the contraction of the universe? Now, everybody, those of you who suffer from self-sabotage, repeat after me. I am a manifestation of all that is. I am pure, unblemished, pure cosmic potential, having a temporary individualized experience as a human. My humanity is the tiniest part of my totality. My divinity is the greatest part of my totality. I co-created this realm to bring the glory of the divine to it. I co-created this realm to experience joy to build a harmonious golden civilization, a shining beacon displaying the best of higher universal mankind. I am eternal, unlimited, adored by my creator. I am as perfect as the moment of my creation. And the moment we choose to accept that as the one truth, we become the conduit through which the divine will pour its golden light into this realm now after absorbing that and what it means absorbing and really thinking what that would feel like compare it to where you are now and then we need to make the necessary course corrections people people my darlings we must stop arguing for our limitations we co-created this world How pathetic it is, for there is no other word more suitable, how pathetic it is to see the co-creator hiding in fear, lost in the story of their own making. Let's think about that when we find ourselves in the poor, pitiful me mode. Let's not look for magic tricks and quick fixes. If we take responsibility, if we dedicate ourselves to letting the spirit inhabit the human, Trust me, the divine will reach out its hand and do the rest. Thank you, Pin, for that lovely question. And tell your family to get up off their asses and seek help. All right, time for a little sip of my drinky boo. Mm, As always, it's growing on me, as they all do throughout the show. All right, let's take another question. This is from tenny who asks tenny i think you've written before Onnie, do you have regrets about not taking the vaccine <laughs> heck no i have never been surer of anything in my life there is nothing anyone can say or do to make me inject that filth into my body this is the hill i will die on if necessary my partner and i had the conversation when this whole thing began we discussed all possible scenarios up to and including what we should do if they broke the door down and tried to inject us by force. We both agreed on the course of action we would take. And I can assure you, it would be our dead bodies they would be dragging out of the home. We do not bend the knee to Lucifer. We do not wish to participate in transhuman experimentation. We are soul sovereign beings, not hackable automatons no tenny i have not one regret and let's take another question and this is from omit personal details dear honey how do i clear a property without having to pay someone to do it i am not being cheap i just don't have any money left at the end of the month i hear you brother or sister I had a friend stay with me last month. This is the letter, not me. (laughs) I had a friend stay with me last month and he left a weird funk on the sofa bed. It used to be my little doggie's favourite spot, but now she won't go near it. Any tips will help. Thank you and I hope you are not offended by my question. In no shape or form would I be offended by your genuine request for advice. And I do understand that we're not all millionaires. I certainly am not. I'll give you a quick and easy cleansing protocol, which I recommend you perform for seven consecutive days. But before I do that, if the sofa bed is the only place your dog has issues with after that visit, it might well be a physical funk. So I suggest in addition to washing the sheets, you air out the mattress and perhaps even steam clean any fabric on the sofa bed um, and also wipe down any wood or metal parts. Okay, here is the protocol. Oni's quick and easy method. Funky be gone. the funky. First of all, before you do any protocol, it's a given. You hydrate and you take nine deep, slow, purposeful breaths. Open some windows in your home, because airflow is important when clearing property. Now go and stand in the room where the sofa bed is. And while you take nine more breaths, imagine a beautiful golden rain falling on and through your home. Feel how refreshing it is. Let it wash away, wash away all that funky doodad. And just breathe and feel it feel the rain upon your face and then move on to nine more breaths and imagine a gentle golden breeze circulating through your home feel how refreshing the breeze is as it picks up the bad juju and carries it away and when you've been refreshed by the breeze take nine more breaths and imagine shafts of pure golden light pouring into your home, vitalizing the energy and restoring everything to a state of grace. And when that's done, feel the relief that all of the strange stuff has gone, bye-bye, and your home is pure and clear and vital. Finally, give thanks and say, it is done. And that will stabilize the vibrations in your home and you're back online all weird stuff gone that's it that's all there is to it but you really need to own it as you do it creative visualization is how the cosmos was created and continues to be created to this day feel the rain on your face enjoy the breeze and bask in the golden light do it seven days in a row And then use it just once whenever you feel the need to. Okay, I think we have time for one more question or maybe two little quick questions. We'll see. I'll pick out something and if it's long, I won't. I won't pick it. Let's see what we got. This is from Avery, who asks, why do you have so many criticisms of the Bible? Avery, because I am a sensible person who engages in in due diligence and does not get carried away by emotions or passions. Nor am I influenced by narratives designed to upset the balance of my rational mind, a mind which I have dedicated to the glory of God, not you know, sure how happy God is about that, but I have dedicated my mind to the glory of God and not to those greed-fueled, grubby-minded minions of the church and state who pretend to serve the divine while lining their pockets with ill-gotten gains, also known as taxes, bribes, and hush money. Avery, my darling, perhaps if you read the history of the Bible, you too might see that there is room for serious inquiry. And we'll take one more quick one here because for some reason I printed it out on pink paper and I'm so attracted to pink. Um, And this is a quick one from from Crunchy Granola Sweet, clearly a Neil Diamond fan. And uh, Crunchy Granola Sweet, we're both showing our age here. Crunchy wants to know, my question is about drinkable spirits. (laughs) Drinkable spirits, right. In your experience, Arnie, How harmful is drinking to one's spiritual path? Well, Crunchy, it depends on how much you drink and how you use spirits. If you hate your life so much that you have to come home and get blotto every night, clearly that will compromise the body and prevent the Holy Spirit from inhabiting your human. It will also destroy your internal organs and uh, have an effect on all bodily functions. That if you enjoy a glass of wine or beer with dinner, or the odd well-made cocktail from time to time, that'll be okay. The question to ask is, do I need this drink, or am I enjoying this drink? It's common sense, my love. If your capabilities are impaired, you've had too much, and you should always stop drinking before you get to that point. And that is all we have time for with the questions, answers, and comments this week. Many thanks to our listeners for writing in and sharing their thoughts with martini heads all over the world. And now, my darling, it's my kazoo's favorite time. It's tarot, a uh, go, go. A little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck. And if i remember correctly which you know is rare that i remember anything these days but if i remember correctly on the last show we talked about the page of Wands, so that means this week we will talk about the page of cups so let's take a look at this bad boy and see what he or she wants to tell us pages they bring messages don't they they open doors pages can be male or female as can knights in tarot. The queen is female, obviously, and the king is male. But pages and knights can go both ways. And you can, imp- you can interpret that any which way you choose, you naughty, saucy little people. All right, let's take a look at this page of cups. And I'm using the Robin Wood deck. I started with it. I might as well finish with it. And it is a pretty deck, and we do love pretty things. So we have what really looks like a girl in this one to me, but it could be an effeminate youth, Um, standing there on the shore, uh, nicely dressed, um, and there's, you know, just a lovely calmness to it. Um, What do I read out of this? Cups are very emotional. It's water, cups of water, and they're very emotional. It's how we process our emotions. So I get the impression here Um, you might be making a new friend. It's some sort of an invitation. The card is warm. It's comfortable. Looks like uh, he or she has a little artist's palette hanging from the belt, Um, and I assume that is supposed to give us the idea of uh, this is the birth of new creativity, of new ideas for you. It could be a new phase in business. It could be a new phase in a relationship, um, <clears throat> but it's 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 warm and it's fuzzy and it's inspired and um, but it's sort of quiet, intuitive. Hmm. I think you'll probably get good news from this, um, but you're entering a different stage of your emotional development. Perhaps some of your hidden talents are coming out and shining. That could be, you know. Uh, Let's see what else it's, it's telling me. Quite often with this card, you hear about the birth of a child or, you know, something significant like someone's wedding, a life changing thing, something that's happy emotional news. Maybe you're refreshing your own relationship in this. But it is about trust, gaining trust. It's about emotional development. Um, Some people associate the Page of Cups with a homosexual person. I have no idea why. Um, I've never actually met anybody homosexual who looks quite like the Page of Cups. And just because you're emotional, it doesn't mean you're some screaming gay man. Um, But they do. They, they, they do associate that with a homosexual person. I don't. To me, it's more an affectionate, gentle, younger person. Somebody friendly. Somebody who may well be psychic or has good intuition. Um, somebody who likes to spend time alone studying or contemplating. You know, a young friend. um, let's turn it around into the reverse position, the challenge position, and let's see how that vibe changes. Ooh. Wow. Now that's really something. All of that kindness and intuition and everything seems to have gone away. And what we have now is like a a really, shall I say a spoiled child? I, I get the feeling the child is like really bratty and on an emotional scale very immature and very insecure um, and shallow. Now, it could be daydreaming and fantasy, or it could be really, really shallow. Um, so it could be whimsical, but it could be lazy. It, you know, remember that there's a whole scale to these things, like the darker side. Of your personality traits, they're not all going to be murky, murky dark, are they? So some people are just irresponsible um and some people just drop out and don't care no no it's 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 everything it's It's everything about not processing your emotions correctly. That's what I'm feeling here. um you know drugs and alcohol could come into play with this. It has done in several readings, in my experience. Um, You're beginning to not do well with social interactions. There's a lack of discipline there, maybe a cavalier attitude, um, not wanting to deal with things, not, not being mature enough, not having the courage. to to deal with things. This also comes up in the reverse position on occasion when I'm dealing with a child that definitely, definitely has potential as an intuitive, but they're terrified or they don't want to deal with it. Mm, So it could be anything from something like that to full-blown, spoiled, uh, messing up my life through frivolity and immaturity. Mm, Yeah, selfishness, yes. I've been searching for that word. Selfishness is what I get in the reverse position. So let's turn it back around the other way. Ah, yes, much better. I like that person a lot better. So Page of Cups, which means that next week um, we will be having the Page of Swords. And that is a busy, busy little card. So if you want to learn about tarot, You know, not for divination, because you can't tell the future, but for personal growth, go to my website, go to the tarot page and sign up for some personal tuition with me. It will be fun because that's what I'm all about, darlings. Fun, fun, fun. All right. How are we doing for time? Not too bad. I've got time for a little sip of my drinky poo poo. Oh, lovely. Well, I think we have time to squeeze in of a cryptic mystic where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. Now, here's a question. What is a mystic? So a dictionary would say something along the lines of uh, somebody who is interested in mysteries, esoteric rites, the occult and all that could be considered, considered mysterious enigmatic, um, a follower of a mystical way of life. Well, I suppose I could conclude, therefore, a mystic is someone who's interested in cosmology, in deciphering the codes of universal creation. Some would term it as wishing to pursue oneness with God. Same thing, really. I would say the term is open to interpretation because people's definition of oneness with God varies because people's definition of God varies. A mystic doesn't necessarily have to be a sainted person, or even a good person. It is someone who wishes to unravel the mysteries of the universe. And today, our not-so-holy roller is Edward Kelly. Someone most people have never heard of, because not a lot is known about him, and I don't actually know that much about him either, so perhaps I'm marginally regretting, <laughs> regretting putting him in this, uh, in, in, in this position right now. But I have started, so I'll finish. So I'm going to go ahead with Edward Kelly. Um, he was also known as Edward Talbot. And his timeline, we believe, is uh, 1955 to, sorry, not 19, uh, Arnie, 1555 to 1597. We do know he was a convicted criminal and a self-declared spirit medium who worked with John Dee. Now, John Dee is a very well-known name in esoteric circles. He was advisor to Elizabeth I on all matters regarding the occult. Um, so John Dee would have been somebody that somebody like Edward Kelly, who didn't have an amazing reputation, would have latched on to. So somehow Edward Kelly, who was a bit of a charmer, managed to convince uh, John Dee to engage him in his magical investigations. He said he had the ability to summon spirits or angels on his crystal ball, and John Dee was really into that. And Kelly also claimed to possess the secret of transmuting base metals into gold. There is much speculation as to whether Kelly was a bona fide alchemist, or a bit of a charlatan, as we'll see. So his early life is obscure, But most accounts say that he first worked as an apothecary's apprentice. He may or may not have studied at Oxford University under the name of Talbot. Uh, Whether or not he attended university, we really don't know. But we do know he was educated. Some people say he actually was a lawyer. He knew Latin and possibly some Greek. And according to several accounts he was pilloried in the town of Lancaster for forgery and counterfeiting, something to do with forging land deals. So it could well be that he was a lawyer, but he wasn't a particularly honest one. So Kelly approaches John Dee in 1582, initially under the name of Edward Talbot, and Dee had already been trying to contact angels with the help of a scryer or a Crystal gazer, but he hadn't been very successful. Kelly said, Oi, mate, I can do this, and apparently impressed Dee with the first trial. So Kelly became Dee's regular, regular scryer. And Dee and Kelly both devoted huge amounts of time and energy um, to having these spiritual conferences. So we do know that from 1582 to 1589, Kelly's life was closely tied to Dee's. After a year, well, about a year after entering into de-service, Kelly appears out of the blue with an alchemical book he calls the Book of Dunstan and with a quantity of some red powder, which Kelly claims he and a certain chap named John Blockley had been led to by a spiritual creature somewhere in the ruins of Glastonbury, I believe. hmm so i think d fell for that um but you know when i looked into that a little bit i saw other accounts that the manuscript that kelly uh had was purchased from a from a low life innkeeper who in turn acquired it from the grave of a wealthy bishop so i guess we'll never know but this powder apparently could make you prepare a red tincture which would allow the transmutation of base metals into gold. And he reportedly demonstrating its, uh, demonstrated its power a few times over the years. Um, and, you know, I guess he got it to work enough that people believed him. But it's interesting because at this point, I get the impression Kelly was a bit of a charmer. He had education, but he wasn't a true alchemist. I think, rather, his superpower was enthralling people and winning them by charming them, uh, which in itself is a type of magic, I suppose. And he could do enough to, you know, to validate his claims. 1583, D becomes acquainted with Prince Albert Lasky, a Polish nobleman interested in alchemy. And Dee, along with Kelly and their families, accompanied Lasky to the continent Dee sought the patronage of Emperor Rudolf II in Prague and also of King Stefan of Poland, and Dee apparently failed to impress either monarch. So D and Kelly, they're living this nomadic, uh, nomadic life in Central Europe. They're continuing with their spiritual conferences, but Kelly, he's not really interested in this scrying stuff. He wants more. And in 1586, They found the patronage of a wealthy bohemian count, Wilhelm Rosenberg, and they settled in the town of Tribon and continued their research. But I think at this point, Kelly's beginning to get very, well, he's he's not getting cold feet. He's just getting restless. And he reveals to John Dee that the angels have ordered them to share everything they had, including their wives know, um, why would he do that? Was it because he didn't want to do any more of these spiritual conferences? Was it because he really wanted to bonk Dee's wife, which was very, you know, she was very pretty, apparently. Um, or was he doing all of this so that he could get rid of Dee so he could concentrate just on alchemy? Because the patronage of Rosenberg was beginning to make Kelly very wealthy. Dee uh, was very anguished by this order from the angels. And he did break off from doing these spiritual conferences, though it is said that he did share his beautiful wife with Kelly. But he didn't see Kelly again for a while. He returned to England. I think it was 1588. Things didn't go well for Dee on his return. He was summoned by Elizabeth I. She did grant him a license to practice alchemy. But he ran into a period of bad luck. His laboratory was destroyed by a mob who accused him of devilish practices. And I believe he died in poverty. Meanwhile, Kelly is living the opulent life. We're at, what, 1590 now? He's living the opulent life. He's received several estates and large sums of money from Rosenberg. He's convinced many influential people that he was able to produce gold. And Rudolph made... Kelly, a baron of the kingdom. But eventually he tired of waiting for results. Rudolf had Kelly arrested in May of 1591. He imprisoned him in Krivelklat Castle, somewhere outside Prague. Rudolf apparently never doubted Kelly's ability to produce gold on a large scale, and he hoped that imprisonment would induce him to cooperate. And, uh, you know, perhaps Rudolf also thought that kelly would run off to england so somehow or another rudolph had seen him do something that convinced him that he could make gold but he wanted him to make it in large quantities and that never happened so we're seeing we're being told that in 1594 kelly agreed to cooperate he agreed to cooperate and produce the gold so he was released and restored to his former status but again he failed to produce and was again imprisoned this time in nevin castle uh, in Most, which today I think is in northwestern Czech Republic. Either way, Kelly dies in 1597 at the age of 42. Um, we believe he died while trying to escape, and the rope wasn't long enough to free him from the tower, so he fell and broke his leg and died from his injuries. But no one's actually really sure. I suppose we will never know if he was a charlatan or someone with real power who wanted to be discredited to avoid persecution? Strange though it sounds, but occult practices were a dodgy affair back in those days. On one hand, you had wealthy nobles with an interest in science, willing to finance your research. On the other hand, you had the almighty Inquisition. And whether you fell in or out of favor depended on how influential your benefactors were. Well, that, my darlings, is the story of Mr. Kelly. You might want to look him up there's kind of an interesting tidbit here and there you might want to start by looking up john d uh yeah interesting stuff and i do of course always try to bring you the most obscure ones that i can find my search for obscurity is uh is is never ending and will probably end in my own obscurity somewhere down the line so that's it with mr kelly and are we Are we almost at the end of the show? Oh my God, almost, not quite, we have a few minutes. So uh, let me just remind you to take part in my Cosmic Conversations. Go to my website and look at Cosmic Conversations. We tackle new age subjects and interesting subjects, usually on the last Saturday of each month, then 90 minute informal presentations, which are fun and occasionally Really fascinating. Uh, This month, it's spellcrafting across the world. Next month, it's the Quatrains of Nostradamus. Um, After that, it's December's Christmas party. In January, we're doing Edward Casey, the sleeping psychic, taking a break in February and March, and coming back in April with some brand new subjects. And my darlings, I guess I am sad to say, we are beginning to wind down to the end of the show. So let me finish my drink. Hold on, hold on. Uh, uh. Oh, that was a big gulp. I do hope I don't burp on the radio. And now I have finished my drink, and that always means the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I always have a blast. Why wouldn't I have a blast hanging out with martini heads all over the world? Today's real-life cocktail was, wait for it, a champagne sidecar. And here's how you make it. One and a half ounces of good brandy. Today I'm using a Remy Martin 1738 Accord Royale because someone gave it to me. Three quarters of an ounce of Cointreau. Three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice. I always use Maya lemons for cocktails if I can find it. And of course you need champagne. And today I'm using a split of Laurent Perrier La Couverte Brute. Um, use a split so you don't waste it so fill your shaker with ice shaky shaky add the brandy the Cointreau and the lemon juice shake it all up and strain it into a chilled champagne flute top it off with the champagne decorate with your favorite dressing but I recommend candied lemon peel and enjoy I totally like totally recommend buying a split of champagne unless you plan to drink the whole bottle with dinner later on that day. It is a very elegant cocktail when served in a champagne flute. Delicious, refreshing and perfect for kissing the summer goodbye, which is what we're doing here in Oregon. (laughs) Now, remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, One drink is all you need. And that was your public service announcement. I am Ani, Mad Shaman Abadisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again. May the rain always fall soft upon your fields and the sun pour down like honey where you stand. May the wind be at your back, and the road rise to meet you, and may your soul rest at last in the hollow of God's hand. And above all, my darlings, if you want a happy life, let the spirit inhabit the human. have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alphadizian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for a huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, Incense and one of the largest Shungite collections available. Cosmic Reality Radio is sponsored by Mystical Ware's online store, where coupon code SAVE10 will get you 10% off your entire order at mysticalwares.com.